Y andando el camino por toda su vida Respira Y si pierdes mis huellas que Dios te bendiga Respira This is my street I smile at the faces I've known all my life They regard me with pride And everyone's sweet They say you're going places So how can I say That while I was away I had so much to hide Hello and welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, November 15th, 2020 My name is James Marino And in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Encore Magazine, Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many of the places. Good morning, Peter. Hi. Good morning. Encore Magazine, uh, get 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 your subscriptions today, right? It can be done. Uh, you know, uh, Robert v- Robert Viegas just got married, right? He did. He just yes, he did. Got married. Yes, yeah, he congratulations, did. Robert. And uh, mm-hmm. mouths to feed, so sign up for Encore Magazine at Encore, <laughs> what is it? EncoreMonthly.com. Mm-hmm. EncoreMonthly.com. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You could see his photography work at FollowSpotPhoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Good morning. And for you, Michael, uh, you are still working a lot, even though um, even though we're having this pause on Broadway and the mm-hmm. and a national pandemic and an international pandemic. It seems that Broadway Records has continued to put out uh, cast recordings, and you are very busy at castreviews.com, aren't you? Well, I don't know if very busy, but I'm I'm trying to fill in the gaps of things that I hadn't reviewed previously. And, and one of them was the Carrie uh, recording. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Which I really, I, I just recently got a chance to listen to in earnest. And, you know, it's so wonderful to, for so many reasons. But uh, of course, Marin Maisie's uh, participation, oh, yeah. uh, you know, just really amazing. And thank you to, um, thank you so much to Harvey Evans for joining us last week. Uh, Harvey um, g- did get to listen to the, the podcast and he, he felt bad because he, he made two misstatements as we, we all do on yeah. occasion, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just talking off the cuff. So he, he asked me to correct uh, when he was talking about the show Sextet. Uh, I believe he said that Jerry Orbach was in it, but it was mm-hmm. Jerry Lanning, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, who, of mm-hmm. course, we all know as the original older Patrick in name, um, among other things. Uh, and then also when Harvey was talking about Oklahoma at Jones Beach, and I think he was asked who the conductor was, and he said Milton Rosenstock, but it was actually Jay Blackton, my the, oh. the original conductor yeah. of the original production. Wow! Of yeah, so that's really kind of amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then also, uh, but you know, it was so great to have Harvey on, and things happen in these conversations that. You, you, you may not find anywhere else. For example, when I asked him about there won't be trumpets and I had always heard uh, different versions of why the song was cut originally. And he uh, because on, on it did make it to the cast album. Eventually, it was recorded by Lee Remick for the cast album and then wasn't included on the original LP releases. But then years later was added back for the CD. And she sounded 
to me so good on it that I uh, that I didn't really buy the story that it was cut because she didn't you know sing it that well, which mm-hmm. is what some people said. But he very specifically told us that she was having trouble with the rhythms of the song, not with the notes, not with the range, not vocally, but with the rhythms. And he mentioned backbeats, and yes, sure enough, there there are several sections in that song where the the notes come in on the on the and rather than on the downbeats it's the uh the parts that go um he may not be the cavalier strong and graceful and then um we can wait what's another day those are all written on the off beats so as soon as harvey said that that's a very specific piece of information that otherwise might have been lost to history uh and that that's the kind of thing that can happen when you talk with these people who were there in the room where it happened, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, the, uh, the, what's really miraculous about they won't be trumpets. Yes. It was a dropped song dropped. It wasn't in the show on opening night. Right. It did not appear in any of the nine performances. Now it's a miracle. It's a show about miracles, but it's a miracle that that album got recorded. Never uh, to that point in time had a show run so short a time. Mm. still get a cast album. And to think that God had Liebeson not only did the album, but he recorded a song that was cut. Exactly. Mm. Astonishing. Exactly. It's as Astonishing. if he knew. Is Indeed. As if he knew. Exactly. You know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's as if he knew. He knew. <laughs> Let's say he knew. <laughs> I think that that's the least of what Goddard Lieberson knew. Indeed. You know, what a, mm. what a mm. genius. Mm. Amazing. Amazing person. With us today, we have a returning guest. Robin Jesus is with us. Broadway fans will know Robin for, let's start at the uh, furthest out. The furthest out. (laughs) Rent. Wicked. In the Heights. Who knew during In the Heights? Did Robin, did you know during In the Heights that uh, Lynn was going to be as big as he is? No. I and I still don't think I know that. <laughs> <laughs> then we have Lakasha Fall, the uh, 2010 revival. The boys in the band just recently last year. Robin, thanks for coming back to Broadway Video. Really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. Robin, I was recently in uh, Norwalk, Connecticut, at oh. the Music Theater of Connecticut. And I'm wondering if indeed um, you know of it. You've been there. You started there. Um, does it mean anything to you at all? Um, what's so funny is I didn't, this is so sad. I didn't discover, uh, music theater of, of Connecticut till only a couple years ago. And I kept seeing it online. And I was like, where is this place? <laughs> Cause it's kind of tucked away. <laughs> and I actually moved to, uh, to Wilton, Connecticut now. Um, uh-huh. and it was, I don't even know how many years ago it was. I drove by and I saw the sign. And I was like, I did a Yui cause I was just so shocked. <laughs> and I was embarrassed that I and I was embarrassed that I didn't know more about it. And now it's like whenever I go to the fitness edge to work out, I, I like wave at it. <laughs> um, I you know there the musical theater of New Canaan, uh, summer theater of New Canaan. Um, I've worked with and I've I've, I've uh, taught before there and uh, Westport Country Playhouse. But for whatever reason, if anybody from from a musical theater Connecticut is listening. I would love to show my face occasionally and maybe just like be a part of the community. How nice. That's great. It's great. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what have you been uh, up to during this, uh, you know, these pandemic times? I, I, you know, you are very busy. (laughs) I have been um, discovering other forms of my creativity um, that, that, uh, 
it kind of just happened very naturally where I found myself locked up. I was alone the first two months. And I just started looking at the cabinets and thinking, well, I think that ingredient goes really well with that ingredient. And let's just see what happens when I cook them together. I just found myself creating all kinds of new meals. (laughs) And then I discovered a love for plants that then became a bit of an addiction. And now I'm in a 12-step program. Um, I I reduced the amount. Um, But I I moved to Connecticut. I've... um, been really really great to sort of stay in a more meditative state for a while um listen i'm not when i'm saying all this i'm making it sound so quaint you know but i'm sure i'm fully taking in the there's been a lot of lows (laughs) amongst all of this but i'm i what what i'm describing is my my way of surviving the madness yeah we're Um, all doing the best we can yeah and it's been a really humbling time period and i think a lot of a lot of my quiet time has been invested in just sort of, you know, learning me all over again and, and finding old versions of me that I forgot existed. And, and ultimately all of that work leading to a much healthier Robin from a mental and spiritual place and, you know, getting back to work now, it's been nice to sort of see that the last few months got me to a place of, of, of gratitude, you know, I'm, I'm, we'll probably touch on this later, but I'm shooting the, the movie adaptation of Tick, Tick, Boom. And I think discovering those new forms of creativity have made me incredibly grateful, but also having this, this break from traditional storytelling has allowed me to come back more grateful for, for that art form as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, it's really beautiful to, to go back to work. And even when you're having the crappiest day, just think to yourself, boo boo. (laughs) (laughs) Six, seven, eight months ago, you, you would have wanted to be here. And so that perspective switch has been a word that I feel like you'll hear a lot from me today. Humbling. Okay. But I'm assuming that uh, much of your time in the last month has been taken with taking phone calls and answering emails about uh, your performance in the boys in the band, because that (laughs) ran on Netflix. Um, True, false. True. Very, very, very true. There was, there was a period there a couple of weeks ago where I said, wow, this is, this is the first time that I have been doing this much press. It was a very, it, it was a kind of, it's a new thing for me, but the beautiful thing about doing press during these times is that, yeah, I'm I'm talking about the movie that I did in my work, and but I'm also I have the good fortune of um, that movie was the Boys in the Band is so socially relevant and culturally relevant, and with all of the work for social justice right now, it was it sort of became a form of advocacy as well, mm. and so that that awareness was was very stimulating um so it was fun <laughs> i'm i'm assuming um that you knew the play before you started doing it um did Barely. you watch the movie did you watch the um the making of the boys documentary did you read the play how did it happen the movie made me homophobic when i was a kid really, <laughs> really? yes because i was sitting by myself in the living room, my mom was in the kitchen and um, I was flipping through the channels. I was probably in fifth or sixth grade 
And I just saw, I, I, I love watching, um, older movies. I, I grew up with mm-hmm. my mom watching Nick at night. And so if there was ever like some Turner classic movie on and, and I flipped the channel, I, I would watch it. And so I don't know what channel this was, but I, I was struck by what appeared to be gay men in the sixties <laughs> dancing on a rooftop. And I thought, Whoa, this exists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then immediately before I could even exhale, I thought, change the channel before someone finds you watching this. Wow. And I switched the channel and I never knew what that movie was. And then years later, um, I would say four or five years ago, I, I was doing a play called Homos or Everyone in America at Labyrinth Theater Company. And I knew the name boys in the band because I remember the off-broadway revival that immersive production that happened and I was told to go and I never made it. But then I'm, I'm doing homos, the play, and there's a, there's a reference to it. And I was like, oh, you know what? I need to go watch the movie so I know what I'm talking about. And when I watched it, I had this moment of, oh, just like being teleported to that kid and thinking, I know who you are. Now, now I really know who you are, and I'm tying all these other moments in my life. And funnily enough, it was during that time period that Joe Mantello emailed me mm-hmm. and offered me the reading. Wow. Mm. So it kind of just like it all the math added up. I have two related questions about the show. This is so interesting to me. Uh, we were discussing recently, everyone on this podcast absolutely loved it. Mm. And um, I brought up that in this case, you know, we, we've seen many, many examples of quote unquote colorblind or alternative casting where the, um, the character is not necessarily different, but it struck me in watching the boys in the band that there was absolutely no reason why this character that you played could not actually have been Latino. So I, I wanted to ask you about that, but also related to that, I thought it was so great how you you certainly um, replicated all of the uh, the Nelliness and the the sissiness and the quote-unquote effeminacy that's in the character, but also you made him a very, very strong character. Uh, I mean, first of all, physically, he's, he's quite worked out. And by the way, a friend of mine really appreciated how you looked in a tank top. I just have to tell you. That. <laughs> Thank but, you. Uh, but then also, I, I, there was this inc- uh, incredible moment where Alan says... Um, why don't you blow me? And you say, what's the matter? Your, your wife got lockjaw. <laughs> and in the original, I mean, you know, the brilliant Cliff Gorman says it yeah. one way, but you said it very, very tough and very butch. And I was thinking what, you know, this, this guy had to be very tough. He had to be someone like that living in that period. So I was wondering about your, your backstory for the character of Emery, because I think that would answer a lot of my my questions and, and all of the things I've just brought up. Yes, of course. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you, Cliff Gorman, for the inheritance <laughs> and the ancestry, because he was such a brilliant man. And, you know, the, I think the blessing for me was that I knew that just my sheer presence aesthetically and energetically, mm. I could never do what he did. That said, it was the hardest character for me to find. Wow. I, mm. I really struggled with him. And I think what that came down to, and I promise I'll get to your question. Um, I think what that came down to was I didn't realize the depths of my privilege as a modern day gay man. I intellectually mm. understood it. Mm. 
I intellectually understood it, but I wasn't receiving it in my body. And, and it wasn't until, I mean, like the day before first preview that I found that character. And let me tell you, I was not fun to be around leading up to that because <laughs> I was not fun because I was just in a spiral of neuroses. Um, the thing for me, I think what really changed one day with Joe Mantello was so good was that he said something to me regarding Alan. He said, you know, there's a class issue happening here. Mm. And in that moment when he said that, I felt like the intersection of my ethnicity and class became significantly more important for me in that role. And ultimately what ended up, I, a lot of this I realized post- was I think my bringing my Latinx identity to the character only gave him more pride because I come from a very proud people. And that is what separates Emery from the rest of the group. He's, mm. he's the only one courageous enough to be authentic and, and to just be who he is because the idea of, of softening himself or passing is, is so much effort and the result of that is miserable. So why not be miserable, but be yourself <laughs> if, you're, if you have to be miserable, which I don't think he actually is. Mm-hmm. The other interesting thing to me about this conversation is that there's been a lot of erasure regarding Latinx folks in the U.S. Puerto Ricans have been here for over 100 years, specifically in New York City. And we're not really present. We're not documented in, 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 in a lot of media. And so... You know, me being there absolutely could and would have happened. And Joe and I also looked up, there were several out sexually fluid gay Puerto Rican men, sexually fluid and gay men uh, in New York City at that time that were fashion designers and interior designers. And, um, so, so, so my Emory existed in that period. Yes. Um, and, but the other interesting thing is like, you know, why was, would he have been with this group of white men is a question that comes up a lot. And, and my thing with that is, well, I don't know how many other gay men my Emory would have had. Exactly. Um, yeah. And as for, as for the, the, the sort of butchness that comes out, I, I think my Emory coming from working class roots meant that he was on the streets as a kid and that he had to defend himself. And so there is that sort of energetic fluidity of I will drop my femme and pick up my butch and kick your ass if I have to. <laughs> and I may even get, and, and I may actually get my ass kicked too, but I'm going to do it with my head held high. Right. Um, and I really do think that a, a lot of that for my Emory specifically was my, my background. Yeah, that's great. I, I, I thought you might say something like that and that's exactly yeah. how I interpreted it. Thank you. And we have to remember, too, that Bernard's part of the group as well. So it right. is an inclusive group. Um, and, and, and that's very nice about the, the, the production, that it shows us that these men uh, bond together regardless of race, uh, that they know that they have been persecuted in their own way. So they're certainly not going to persecute on the basis of race. So that's really terrific as well. Yeah, it's a, it's, I feel bad about saying this, but I'm going to. And that is the fact mm-hmm. that after seeing you, I really felt that I realized that Cliff Gorman, who was a heterosexual in real life, uh, was pretending. Mm-hmm. But you were the real thing. 
Yeah, mm. and, and that's the difference. And I remember mentioning that on the podcast as well. That's really exciting, I mm-hmm. have to say. That it, because, you know, when I watch Cliff Gorman, I do watch it. I, 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 um, I give myself permission to go knowing the period and, and what those men went through that, like someone like me would not be able to do that. So I guess I sort of create it on a, on a sliding scale, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, it, but it is exciting now to be in a place of like, oh, we, we, get, to see, we get to see people wreck themselves. <laughs> I want to ask about Lakasha Fall. Uh, there's an irony attached to your being in it, and that is the fact that uh, you were born on August 21st, and the original production opened on August 21st. <laughs> oh. Oh, yeah, that, you didn't know that, huh? I was just I did wondering. Not know that, but I knew Mark Crowley was born August 21st. Isn't that something? That was my next point. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, sorry. Amazing. <laughs> but, uh, but and, and by the way, my ex-wife was too, but that's another uh. story. So um, I hate that she was born on a day when a hit opened, while I was born on a day that a big flop opened, but that's another story. <laughs> so um, so uh, as a result, La Caja Fall, uh, did you know of that property before um, you wound up doing it it certainly didn't get a movie but it did get a lot of production so you may have run into it somewhere along the line yes i always loved lakaj i love lakaj because I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way i remember going to see the play after the fall i think it was called on broadway mm-hmm. and which i loved but mm-hmm. i was very sad at the end of it because i thought man can we ever get a play as as gay culture where we don't die or get aids or like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. can we get some and I was in rehearsals for Lakaj at the time. And then I took a breath and I went, there is stupid. You're in it. <laughs> like you're in the show. And that, that is what I always, I was always such a fan of Lakaj because no one writes joy like Jerry Herman did. Uh-huh. No one writes joy like that. Mm-hmm. And that score was just so rich in high school. Like I, I never sang it, but I just remember as a kid thinking like, I can't wait to sing I Am What I Am someday. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, um, so it was always with me, and of course, parallel to that, the Birdcage was huge for me when I was a kid as well, because it was one of the few gay stories that that I was able to watch, and, and didn't, and for whatever reason, that one didn't out me, or maybe I just thought I was fooling people. <laughs> um, but yes, I did know the story, and I and I was already in love with it prior to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to ask you about camp. Because uh, camp seems to be uh, a launching point for so many wonderful careers. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it like for you to um, to be a part of camp, and how did that come about? Oh my God, camp was just—it's—it's. It's, I, I look back at it with such romance. Well, did you go to Stage Door Manor, or I didn't. I didn't. I went. I I was a counselor at a performing arts camp. Ah. And that was actually how I got the movie. Uh, oh. Crystal, Crystal Theater, the, the theater that Cheryl Kemney runs in Norwalk, Connecticut, where I was born and raised, she, she was running a summer camp in Greenwich, Connecticut. And it was, the funny thing was, we always, we always did our shows in Norwalk, but she always would gift us, she'd rent a theater in Greenwich so that we felt fancy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and <laughs> because we go do shows in Greenwich, that, that summer session was full of people who weren't regulars at the theater. And one of them was Neil Benari, um, who's, a, who's a Broadway actor. And he was the standby, as he referred it, uh, to the old white man in Aida. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And his daughter was at the summer camp. Bernie Telsey called him and said, hey, 
I'm casting this indie film. It's a musical, but it's nine. I need a nine million cast. And we're struggling to find, you know, young performers. I remember you telling me your daughter wants to act. Do you think she could audition? And he said, nope, keep my daughter out of it right now. And I'll pass this along to, to everyone at her summer camp. And so there was a breakdown. The, the director of the camp, Cheryl, looked at it and she recognized that me and one other student were right for a couple roles. I went to my first ever, my first ever open call for, mm. for acting in New York City when I was 17. I had just graduated high school three weeks prior to that. And it was a catacomb. There were like six or 700 of us, Pat and Ripley. And after we had a week of super duper intense auditions, and it was just, it was bizarre. I thought I was going to be an opera singer. I thought I was, I thought mm. I was going to study classical music. That was what I was prepping myself for. And, and then that movie happened. It changed everything because it affirmed my, my right to study musical theater. My teachers had told me that I, that musical theater wasn't accepting of a short Puerto Rican. I should go to opera when no one cared what I looked like. Uh, was verbatim what one teacher told me. Wow. Which was her, that was, that was her projection. But at that time, I didn't recognize that. Sure. And that movie just affirmed what I was supposed to be doing. And it was, I remember hearing Sasha Allen and Tiffany sing for the first time and thinking, what is going on? <laughs> what? And then when Todd Graff, like, casually mentions oh yeah i was the guy in baby i was like what <laughs> like it was just like surprise after surprise after surprise um and I, then sondheim showed up oh. yes i was gonna ask about that um <laughs> was there any interaction between you and sondheim in any way minimal. shape or form? Uh-huh. minimal yeah. minimal interaction um mm-hmm. i remember it, he came up and you could tell he was in a meditative state we shot in the country and and you, you could just see from his demeanor that he was enjoying the fresh air and looking at the trees. And so, you know, I was just like, I, I want to leave him alone. Cause I don't, I don't want to anger Steven Sondheim. I got to say <laughs> hello. And then I just like backed away. Um, Cause I didn't want to be the one that, that wouldn't get that, that he'd have to like kick out of the room, you know? But I was so excited because he handpicked the photo that my character worshiped in his bedroom. <laughs> and I remember Todd saying, yeah, you know, um, Stephen is picking out, you know, the photo that you're going to have in, in your, your, your bedroom on the set. And I said, oh, my God, Stephen Sondheim is picking a picture for me. <laughs> and every time I looked at it, it was just like, I don't know. It was it was it was it's still shocking to me because <laughs> I, I, I still worship him. I think I knew this, but I had forgotten. I just looked up the cast of the movie of Tick, Tick, Boom. And it says, as Stephen Sondheim will be played by Bradley Whitford. (laughs) As if I wasn't, I was already a West Wing fan, but now, you know. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, once once I heard that Bradley was playing him, I thought, that's pretty brilliant. Mm. Isn't that uh, that West Wing um, uh, live thing on Netflix? Just was it Netflix or HBO? Uh, just amazing. Yeah, I, I only watched a clip. I haven't had time to sit and watch it yet. Oh, you have to watch it. It's so I interesting. I can't wait. I love that show. Um, let me ask about uh, In the Heights. All things being equal, this would have been the year we would have seen that film. Mm-hmm. Um, I imagine you've seen it. <laughs> very recently actually any good <laughs> um what i will say is and this is this is this is 
uh, me just being coy. So I don't get in trouble. I cried Mm -hmm. several times, several times. Um, What I will share actually is we recently lost, this is the first time we experienced a loss in the In the Heights family. Doreen Mm -hmm. Montavo passed away a couple weeks ago, very, very unexpectedly. Mm -hmm. And um, she has a moment in the movie and it was just, it was really beautiful and, and she deserved that moment. And, and she's, she's still the voice of the bolero singer. Like she wasn't show. And there's something about that. That just feels absolutely perfect right now. Hmm. By the way, this uh, Robin's appearance today was facilitated by my new next door neighbor, Tony Chiroldes, uh, who I, uh, were you actually in the show at the same time yes. on Broadway? Yes, Tony and I share the common bond of loving our Latina divas <laughs> so <laughs> much. And especially like uh, Iris Chacon, who was just like this, she is this incredibly sexual, wide hip sort of, um, I don't even know what to call her. She's a femme, uh, femme fatale. <laughs> and, and we would just be backstage salsa dancing, pretending we were her living our best gay lives. Um, <laughs> we just bonded over that. And, and I am a very, I'm a very hickish Puerto Rican. And only, only certain people know what my brand of Puerto Rican is. Hmm. And Tony did. So there was just such an appreciation for each other's accents and how we spoke and joked. And, and so it was just, it was being with him felt like being home. He and his partner just got back there, apparently. They, they just came back from a visit to Puerto Rico. I, I, yeah. I can't imagine what it's like right now. Yeah, I don't know. We didn't really have a chance to discuss it. Mm. <laughs> okay, so we all know how a VPN protects your privacy and security online, right? But I didn't know this until recently. It's taken my TV watching game to the next level. You can use a VPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. Last week, I used ExpressVPN to binge Doctor Who on UK Netflix. It was so simple. I just fired up the ExpressVPN app, changed my location to the UK, refreshed Netflix, and that's it. See, ExpressVPN hides your IP address and lets you control where you want sites to think that you're located. You can choose from almost 100 different countries, so just think about all the Netflix libraries you can go through. Love anime? Use ExpressVPN to access Japanese Netflix and be spirited away. But it's just not Netflix. ExpressVPN works with any streaming service. Hulu, BBC, iPlayer, YouTube, you name it. There are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason I use ExpressVPN to watch shows is that it's ridiculously fast. There's never any buffering or lag, and you can stream HD with no problem. ExpressVPN is also compatible with all of your devices, phones, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. So you can watch what you want on the go or on the big screen, wherever you are. If you visit my special link right now, expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio, you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Support our show, watch what you want, and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash broadwayradio. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Broadway Radio. And thanks to ExpressVPN for continuing to support Broadway Radio. So uh, you've been um, 
filming and uh, and working and attending to your plants and mm-hmm. things like this. What what is on the horizon for you? What are what you know? Do you have kind of a rough sketch of what you're going to be doing over the next couple of months? Yeah, um, I guess it's a it's a pretty rough rough sketch because there there were some theater things that I was hoping were going to happen around this time, and obviously that's not happening, but. My best friend, Dominic Colón, is an amazing writer. And we've talked about a few things that we might want to do in the future. In, you know, and um, he also has a really beautiful play that we're just trying to workshop and get a lot of attention, uh, get a lot of eyes on it so that, so that when things jump up again, it could be like maybe one of the first things that someone will push. But, um, but, but no, I mean, my intention, honestly, I, I said this last night to a friend of mine, I was like, I just want to be in class. Whenever, whenever I wrap a movie, I don't want to forget everything that I've just relearned. Um, you know, with Boys in the Band, there was like a year gap to Tick, Tick, Boom. Well, that's because of Corona, but you know, you just feel like you, you lose your, your uh, you get off, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? You sort of, you lose your rhythm a little bit. Mm. It's like, I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. But there's, there's some TV stuff that, that could happen. It's just not set in stone yet. Mm-hmm. In terms of in the Heights, um, you originated when it was a 37 Arts. Um, did you um, ever expect that it would go to Broadway while you were doing this little off-Broadway show? Absolutely, 100%. I uh-huh. knew. Uh, we, we all knew. The first reading I did of In the Heights was in 2005 at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center. Mm-hmm. And we were not allowed to read the script prior to. It was very private. You had to say yay or nay based off of just the offer. And the only reason I said yes was because I was finally going to attempt to go to college. And my friends had seen a workshop of the show at MCC and raved and said, you need to play this part. The person who played Sunny prior to me was a friend of mine. We waited tables together at the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company in Times Square. (laughs) He... Uh, joined a boy band and had moved to Miami um, where him and the, the rest of the boy band were living in some mansion working on their album. And so I knew that the role was up for grabs. And when I saw the breakdown go out, I told my agents. And then they, they had, Lynn, Tommy, and Kiara had seen camp. And they were like, you know what, just cast him. And we got to the O'Neill. We opened the scripts. We do that first table read. And it was magic. It was like it needed work. There was it definitely needed improvements, but we knew right away this was special, and something was going to happen. And then by the time we workshopped it again and got to, and got off Broadway, we knew the producers had the intention of, of moving it. It was just a matter of when. And so there were two dressing rooms where, and we had a big cast where we were packed, all the guys in one, and all the women in the other, and at that time. The Secret, which was a book and a movie that Oprah had been lauding, mm. had really, really gotten popular. And we all had our own private vision boards. And someone, I don't know if it was Andrea Burns, Janet Tacon, Karen Oliva, and Mandy Gonzalez were, I think, the main ones of this, said, let's make a vision board for the show. And so the women's dressing room had this vision board. And there was something about all of our faith put together in manifesting the show that it was never a question of will it move, it was when. So much so that the producers 
had a documentary crew following our, our journey off Broadway. Right, right. And I think they thought they were going to get this amazing shot of the cast finding out they were going to go to Broadway. <laughs> and the exchange went something like the exchange went something like this. Hey guys, so we got good news and we got bad news. Okay. The bad news is the show's closing. Okay. The good news is we're moving to Broadway. <laughs> and we all looked at them as if that was not the news. <laughs> <laughs> and and you could see, and then we just waited a couple beats and the camera was on and we went. Oh yeah! Oh my God! Yay! Yay! <laughs> Most performed moment ever because we just knew. And normally, when you when you're in a Broadway show, you don't want to um, you don't want to overdress your dressing room because you don't know if you're going to stay there long. When I came in, I should have brought the movers. Uh. I mean, I brought all pictures, and I, I remember I, I laid my mat down with my makeup on my station, and I I took a signed check that said, pay, pay bump, pay bonus when you get your Tony nomination. Hmm. And I hid it under the mat and I just let it marinate <laughs> until it became a reality. <laughs> now, the check that I wrote for winning did not come to fruition, but Yet. I think Divinity had Yet. a reason for that as well. Yet. 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 Uh, Robin, I, I, I like to ask this of, uh, of folks that come on um, – your first show was uh, Rent. Mm -hmm. Tell us about how you found out that you had booked it and what what happened at that point. Did you call your parents? Did you call your best friend? Did what? Tell us about the flashback to your getting the gig. Of course. Uh, so it was a Thursday evening. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was I was working takeout at a pizzeria called Bertucci's in Darien, Connecticut. Oh, I know I, Bertucci's. You know Bertucci's? So do I. Yeah. <laughs> sure. what, we had done the workshop, excuse me. We had done the, my first reading of In the Heights a couple months prior, and the cast convinced me not to go to college on a 10-minute break because I couldn't get a loan. Uh. And it was just, it was a money issue. Hmm. And they said to me, listen, Robin, this show's probably going to go off Broadway to Broadway in the next year. So like school's going to be there. Maybe you shouldn't stress yourself out and just enjoy this and do the show. So I go back to Bertucci's just like praying that this show works out. And I, and I get a phone call. It's like, Hey Robin, can you come in tomorrow morning at 1130 to audition for rent to be in the ensemble and cover angel? And I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> I'm working this shift. Um, I need to learn these lines. My boss let me out early. I, I, I didn't have a printer, so I used the fax machine at the pizzeria and prayed the boss never caught me. <laughs> um, I went home, picked out my outfit, made sure my beard was lined up. I went to the city, and I, I did my audition. I felt really good about it. I leave, and I get a phone call an hour later. It was like, hey, can you come back to dance, which had not been discussed prior to that. I thought, I'm in jeans. They're like, don't worry about it. It's a one-on-one. -on -one. So I go, and I, I felt like I bombed it. I gave them all attitude, but the feet, don't look at uh, them. Mm -hmm. um, because it was, I, was just, I was so anxious because I could, I could taste that there was potential for me to book it. <laughs> so I leave, and I see some friends of mine randomly from community theater in Connecticut in the city. 
And they're like, hey, how's it going? You're like, you're doing the thing. And I thought, yeah, I just, I just lost my chance at Broadway. I just, I had a callback today and bombed the, the callback. And like, it was there, y'all. It was there. It just giving all kinds of drama. Hmm. Cut to the next day. It was November 11th. It was my sister's 30th birthday. It was also one of the agents who I loved at my agency. It was his last day at, with, the, with the office before becoming a manager. I got a phone call at like 10.30 a.m. I was living in my brother's apartment at the time. And, <laughs> excuse me, and Michael, the agent, says to me, um, so how does a Broadway contract sound to you? <laughs> and I screamed, I hollered because there's a part of me that always felt and knew that I was going to be on Broadway somewhere someday. But there's the other part of me that thought, man, it's never gonna, it's never gonna happen. Sure. And when he said that, I screamed and I stole all the attention from my sister's thirtieth birthday. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and they literally, uh. they literally said, "Can he be at the theater tonight?" Oh my god! And it was a Friday night, and the restaurant was packed, and I quit. <laughs> <laughs> and, and apparently and apparently that night Donna who was one of the hosts with me and I've known Donna for years because her niece married my cousin and this whole thing and she goes I just can't believe Robin left us like this I just oh. can't believe he quit and I thought bye <laughs> no but she um it was it was it was pretty amazing and and also to make my debut in in that specific show was so heartening because it, it meant so much to me as a teenager. It was it was one of the first shows where I looked at that album cover and thought, oh, I look like that. Mm-hmm. I can absolutely do this. Mm-hmm. Of course, one, one of the ironies is that you were playing a waiter in Rent at some point in the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. If you only knew. I have, there was a, I had a Selena moment. And a, and a pretty woman moment at the Drama Desk Awards during the Kaj, mm. where I was holding my plate with shrimp, and someone thought I was a server and took my shrimp off of my plate. And I was nominated. My God. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Well, you may not have gone to college, but I did see you at Princeton University doing mm-hmm. a reading of the Skin of Our Teeth musical. Um, I love you for that transition because I was debating saying to you, I, po- I, I apologize for cutting you off, but just to say that I almost was going to say I considered that almost my Broadway debut, even though it never came to Broadway. <laughs> Broadway. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, um, you know, you played Henry, didn't you? Yeah. I loved that show so much. Yeah. It's really a shame. It's never happened. And um, did you know the play before you did the musical? I did. I did. Yeah. 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 I loved the play. Yeah. I love the play. I think it's really relevant right now, actually. It sure is. Yeah. I always say, you know, it's, I think, I think I was saying a couple months ago, I said, you know, it's that thing of like the, whenever, the world just turns upside down. It's the power of family that just, it's mm-hmm. what gives you the energy to move forward and want something better. Um, and that show, you know, I booked it when I was, I booked the workshop of it when I was like 20. And I was a major Candornet fan. I was obsessed with Fiddler on the Roof. Candornet wrote the score and Joe Stein wrote the script. And I remember showing up at rehearsal. And originally, Betty Buckley was supposed to play my mother. 
And for whatever reason, it didn't work out. And I got to rehearsal and in walked Deb Monk. (laughs) And I, like the fact that they gave me no warning could have been a medical issue. Um, (laughs) Like they should have thought better because if they knew the kind of musical theater homosexual that I am, they would know that I would sit in my dressing room and recreate everybody's girl from the leading ladies of Broadway concert on PBS. Um, And that was just like, Getting a compliment from John Kander, I will never forget it. <laughs> it was, I actually, it, when I, whenever I have moments of insecurity, I have to remind myself what John Kander said. Oh, that's wonderful. What did he say? <laughs> I was, he, the number he wrote for me, or that he wrote for the show that then I sang, he didn't write it for me, was, it was, it reminds me of the song Rags that Judy Kuhn sang in, in Rags the Musical, mm. where like the lyrics don't match the sound of the music. And that, 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 that paradox is actually what creates tension and makes it dramatically so fascinating. It's this very bright, happy song, but like dude's about to be a murderer. And he's talking about how much he hates <laughs> nice people and their niceties. And it... I finished my first run through and he came up and he grabbed my hand and no offense to the guys that sang the song before, but he said that song, no one, no one's ever performed this song the way it was intended until now. And he goes, you are an actor. You are a true actor. And up until that Mm -hmm. moment, I was convinced I was a singer who could kind of act. And he reminded me that I was an actor first and I needed to hear that at that time. Sure. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is just wonderful. You had mentioned before that uh, during our discussion, the boys in the band, that uh, uh, people from Puerto Rico have been underrepresented, um, especially in the New York history. Uh, and here comes this Lin-Manuel Miranda who uh, has just put it out there that uh, that he's from Puerto Rico and this is important and he's done all these fundraisers uh, for Puerto Rico. So are, are you and Lynn uh, planning to take uh, uh, New York by storm and, uh, and, and let everybody know that Puerto Rico is here to stay? Going to become oh the 50, 51st state? I mean, well, here's the thing with the statehood. Uh-huh. I, was, I was a big fan of statehood for so long. Well, first, let me say this. I think Lynn and I, every day we wake up, we, we do our best to rep our people and uplift them and, and remind us of our ancestral power and pride, right? And I know that sounds so dramatic, but I mean every, every syllable of that sentence. And I had an experience where I hadn't gone for six years to Puerto Rico and I went back in January and that was just because my mom moved mm. back stateside relatives had died and I didn't realize how much my feet needed to touch that ground. Mm-hmm. Uh. And it, I mean, it hit me hard during the Tony season for boys in the band. And I was, I, I remember I felt sick that I couldn't go. And so as soon as I could, I got on a plane and I went and I experienced, it was like a new awakening for me because my childhood, all of my childhood, we just hung out with the family and we didn't really experience more of the culture other than the culture at home, which, which is full, but like 
but there's so much to the island and there's so many different perspectives. And I got to realize how amazing the like the nouveau cuisine is over there. Hmm. I got to I realized all these all these activist movements that I didn't know that existed because, you know, as a colony uh, that was colonized by by light skinned Europeans, there's this anti blackness that has become a bit of a part of the culture. Mm. And I discovered that there were major movements to get to to decolonize ourselves from that hmm. way of thinking. And I thought, I thought that was just me in the States thinking like, guys, we got to get decolonized. But actually, no, it, the island was talking about it. It's just that my home specifically wasn't. And I learned so much. And, and two things came out of that. One was, I'm going to, I'm, if I, w- I would never use my platform to tell the island what its status needs to be because I'm not living there. And I, and I, it just something about that doesn't feel mm. right. Mm-hmm. Okay. But what, I, but what I did feel for the first time was, oh my God, I was taught to fear independence. I was mm-hmm. taught that Puerto Rico could not sustain itself, mm-hmm. that they didn't have the means. And what I've realized is they do have the means. The U.S. has just been robbing them of that. By the way, I mentioned that that Tony Chiroldis w- was just there, and we didn't talk about it at length. But he did say that they that he and his partner were very happy to see that, as far as mask wearing, uh, mm. it's things are very very good. He said everyone was wearing a mask. Thank God! Did you hear about their votes? No. There were hundreds of ballot boxes that were stolen. Oh, really? And some of the towns, the mayor races are literally. Is the difference in votes is just two and nine mm. votes. Oh. Mm. So luckily they found a bunch of them. They're going to count them. But it's just really, the issue in Puerto Rico with voting is that people want to vote. If you're there for voting season, cars are decorated. There are flags. Everywhere. If, if, if I'm in a car that's decorated for one political party and you drive by a house that has signs for another, you'll beep the horn and like kind of like boo at them. But it's all actually like kind of fun and like, Everyone's getting along but, and, and making fun of one another, but there isn't sort of the, the vitriol that we have here mm-hmm. so much. Um, and so it's, the people are active, but the government itself oftentimes is incredibly corrupt. And with this specific race, what was interesting was there was a woman from a third party who was more along the lines of like, say like a Bernie Sanders. And mm. I think there was a lot of hope that she was gonna be the one who took over. And I just can't help. I'm not a conspiracy theorist necessarily, but I couldn't help but think, what is the coincidence of these ballot boxes and her presence? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you can, you know, shine a little love and light on my island because they could use it. Please. <laughs> uh, so I have one last question for you. Um, you, you spent a, a lot of time in the Gershwin, uh, in Wicked, playing Bach. Uh, did you uh, did you ever get in the bubble and take it for a ride? <laughs> oh my god! I, you know I was not allowed to on Broadway. Uh, they were so strict about that. Uh, I was like, this is so this is this should be how everyone's put in starts on the bubble. <laughs> like, oh yeah, <laughs> that should be what they do, but they but they really really don't. I will. You say just have this. to walk up to the bubble like you own the bubble. Like I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> I'm supposed to be here. What are you talking about? You Listen, know? the only thing with the bubble that always gets me is every time I, I, I was so happy and relieved that I was not the person who had to unclip Glinda from the bubble. Uh, 
every every there was not a night that I did not live in fear of that clip not functioning or and it happens. Uh-huh. Sometimes uh-huh. the clip gets stuck and has a mind of its own. Wow. But that experience, I went in thinking, man, Robin, you're 30, you gotta make some money, do this job, collect the coins, and then go do a fierce off-Broadway show and have the money to be able to afford to pay your rent during that. And quite the opposite happened in the sense, well, that did happen. But what also Mm -hmm. happened was that group was so wonderful. It was so much fun. There was such a sense of community within the cast because that's very difficult to maintain after that long Mm. run. And Broadway cast, when you're you're doing a show for that long, the the energies in the building can go up and down depending on, you know, the moods can be good, they can be bad, they can be toxic. It can be really, really positive. And, And, you know, at Wicked, the ensemble, there were days where you'd walk off stage and you'd be like, oh, everybody's making choices today. Everyone's feeling good. <laughs> and it was like the work never stopped. It, it, everyone, was, everyone was humble enough to never stop growing. Um, and, and that's why I did, afterwards I went on the road with it because it just, it, it was so much more than I, than I ever thought it, will, it would be. And it was the first time that my niece could see me in a show uh, and how important that it was a show with two women at the least. Sure. Sure. It meant, it meant so much to me and I didn't even realize it until I saw her in her seat leaning forward. Mm. So I will always be grateful to Wicked for that. I, I, I was listening to a podcast this morning of, uh, uh, Joe Biden's campaign manager, uh, is a woman and, uh, she was, talking about how it was so important for her daughters to see Kamala Har- mm-hmm, Harris sure. become vice president sure, sure. and it 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 it, it all uh, it, it really makes sense and uh and I was going to ask you about the wicked thing being so much led by women versus so many of the other shows on Broadway these days and how it uh how it felt different and uh and did they paint you green <laughs> they never pay- wait i'm so sorry i think i didn't fully hear the question i apologize <laughs> <laughs> what well, did you have a different feeling in wicked because it's um because it's led by two women and i think you partially answered that yeah he did yeah, yeah. i mean i i i did in i mean musical theater is interesting though because we're one of the only we're we're in one of the only careers where women tend to be downstage center yes often. Mm. However, mm-hmm. it's very deceiving because the rooms are still led predominantly mm. by men. Even right. if they are gay, it's still predominantly run by men. <laughs> right. and, gay, and gay misogyny is very much still a thing as well. And so I think we often think that we're more ahead of the curve than we are. Mm. But that specific show really is such a feminist statement. Um, or it can be. I, don't, I, I shouldn't say that. As, I'm not a woman, so I shouldn't <laughs> claim to know what, what defines feminism. But, but it definitely feels like it goes further than some other shows, you know? Maybe not Maine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Maine's one of my favorite shows. That's why I said that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, but, it, but it, and, and you know, Wicked's also just, women have not been able to sing the same since Wicked in musical theater. When you, when you think of like what Adina did vocally since mm-hmm. then, I think no one writes beneath the staff mm-hmm. <laughs> for women. Mm-hmm. 
And so it's 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 been like a really it's been a really really powerful show, um, and yeah, I'm just I'm I'm grateful it came into my life at the time that it did, and that it it gave me more than I ever needed, and it was a it's a beautiful way to reconnect with Joe before Boys in the Band, um, and like there were many beautiful friendships that came from there, and it actually made me long for the days where it wasn't frowned upon to be someone who originates Broadway shows and replaces. Hmm. You know, like gone are the days of Cheetah Rivera going on tour with Pippin mm-hmm. when she didn't originate for Strada. And sometimes I do wish we could go back to that. I wish that that was more of our, our, our work culture on Broadway, but alas. Mm-hmm. Well, Robin, I want to thank you for joining us on Broadway Indeed. Radio. It's been really wonderful to talk with mm-hmm. you. I hope that after the, the Tick, Tick, Boom movie comes out, you'll come back and chat with us again about it. Thank you. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Thank you for just great stimulating conversation this early in the morning. (laughs) Uh, We'll get onto your uh, coffee and your bagel and we will talk with you soon. Okay. Take care. Well, that was just wonderful talking with Robin, and uh, I, you know, I just, I just adore that we have a community so willing to spend Sunday morning with us. Oh, it's it's Sunday morning's rough, and and even even so for uh, our folks on the left coast who get up at seven in the morning. Who do we have? We had somebody a couple couple of weeks ago that was on the yeah, west coast yeah, right. oh casey nicola right was it casey yeah. or yeah it was yeah, casey yeah, yeah. yeah yes casey, it was yeah mm. so anyway so uh let's move on michael you had something to say about rob oh yeah i gosh it was so great to talk with robin again he he's so wonderful uh can you it just proves that you don't have to go to college to be really brilliant right mm-hmm. <laughs> um he did make a, a, a misstatement i noticed he, he was mentioning that play that he saw on broadway that 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 uh, with a lot of you know drama and sadness involving gay characters and it was actually he said after the fall uh it was next fall that was the the jeffrey Knopf uh, play yeah mm-hmm. uh in 2010 after the fall is also a very sad play but mm-hmm. in a very different way <laughs> yeah and it, it, when he said after the fall um before he explained the right plot of it um i thought it was entirely possible there was yeah, a exactly. revival not that long ago at the american airlines theater yes exactly me too hmm. all right so uh that wraps it up for this week before we get on to trivia i want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayvideo.com there's a subscribe link that way you can listen to each and every episode of this week on broadway uh but you don't have to listen to us in apple Podcasts. as many ways to listen to us iHeartRadio plays us. Tune in, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can listen to finer podcasts. You can listen to Broadway Radio. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me, as well as links to some of the, some of the things we've talked about today, can be found in the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com as well. So, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? The question was, the hit musical has been revived twice on Broadway. The first revival came 20 years after the original, the second almost 20 years after the first one. For the first two productions, the character was not given a name in the script or the playbill, but was named for what he wore. Although the title character of the show did use the character's name. 
In the second revival, the script and playbill listed the character by name, but what's the show? Who's the title character? What's the real name? What did he wear that provided the description? So we're talking about Sweet Charity, produced in 1966, revived in 1986, and revived again in 2005. It starts with Charity in Love with Charlie, but the script and playbills for the first two productions refer to him as Dark Glasses. <laughs> That's what he wears. Only in 2005 was he promoted to having a name in the printed material. Steve Bell was the first to get it, followed by Paul Witte, Tony Janicki, Jake Leonard, Brigadude, Ingrid Gammerman, Josh Israel, Stuart Iris Soloway, Robert Lobiondo, and Richard Carey, who made a point of saying that he liked the convoluted questions. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for, Richard. Caveat emptor, here we go. All right, considering that it's November, here's a question that involves November. Two plays that were playing on Broadway in November, 1930, and one that made it to November in 1958 are the only Broadway attractions of the thousands that have played there that have had a character with this name a name that many of us say each and every day of our lives, <laughs> maybe many times a day. You may have already said it today. What is it, as well as the names of the three plays? Okay, we'll have to change the name of this to the convoluted uh, <laughs> trivia question of the week. If you have an answer to that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. the bling. I want the brass ring like Frodo. There goes Mr. Braggadocio. Next thing you know, you're lying like Pinocchio. If you're scared of the bulls, stay out the rodeo. I got more holes than a phone book in Tokyo. You better stop rapping. You're not ready. It's going to get hot and heavy, and you already sweaty. Yo, 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 yo. I'm sorry. Is that an answer? Shut up. Go home and pull your damn pants up. As for you, Mr. Frodo of the Shire, 96 G's ain't enough to retire. Come on. I have enough to knock your ass off his axis. You have a knapsack full of jack after taxes. 96,000. I love 96,000. Nobody. 96,000. I never win shit. 96,000. Real though. Imagine how we would feel going real slow. Down the highway of life with no regrets. And no breaking your neck for respect or a paycheck. Real though. I take a break from the wheel and we'll throw the biggest block party everybody.